What's going on, y'all? It's been a while. We're back with a conversation, a discussion. Obviously, there's a lot that's going on in the NFL right now from head coaching hires to championship games and early Super Bowl, you know, possible predictions, um, as well as, you know, Tom Brady retiring today. So we're going to talk about each and one of those things. Uh, Maybe, you know, analyze the situation of, you know, certain teams, uh, what it means for their futures. But uh, yeah, how's uh, how's everyone doing today? Scopa, what's going on? I'm good. I'm pretty tired. Been working a lot. Um, something that I'm trying to do though is learn chess. I don't know if y'all have this experience too, but like my for you page on TikTok is just like straight chess videos. I don't know how it happened, but like it just is a thing. And naturally I'm on TikTok all the fucking time. So like I'm just like, man, maybe I should learn chess. So I just been like fucking around with some chess in my free time. Well, I hope you know that uh, you know the ability to become a chess grandmaster um your brain capacity decreases once you hit 30 so um you can no longer uh you know play up to the standards that you uh you might want to i don't know about being a grandmaster the only gm i care about is uh the 20 yeah, you, yeah but you, you know a lot about being 30 so <laughs> okay oliver what's up i'm just just uh hanging out taking a break from my homework for the pod Happy to be here. Happy for the podcast to be back and uh, should get right into the action. Yep. We've been mad busy for like a couple months, so I haven't really had time to pick it up. But, you know, we're back. Uh, we're going to try to give it consistent. But, yeah, uh, first thing we wanted to discuss is, you know, the uh, the most recent thing uh, with regard to actual games is uh, the championship games. So that's what we'll talk about. Um, I guess I'll take it to the first, uh, the first game. Uh, we had... The Eagles play the 49ers. Uh, a lot of things happened in that game that, uh, you know, maybe wasn't exactly what viewers wanted to see, especially with all of the quarterback injuries uh, on San Francisco's end. But uh, what are our initial responses to that? What are we thinking about the game? What does it mean for the Eagles Super Bowl chances? Did we learn anything new? Scopa, what, what do you think? Well, most of my opinions on this game are from the 49ers perspective, despite them being the losers, because... Watching the game, I got this, like, I didn't get the sense that the Eagles were dominating the game, really, despite the score. It was very much a close game that was flipped on its head by, like, the incorrect uh, catch, like, rule from Smitty or whatever. Um, and, like, credit to him for getting up and get everyone getting to the line of scrimmage before, like, Kyle Shanahan had the chance to challenge or, like, review it or anything. But, like, that play was really the only thing the Eagles had going for them. Like, that was on a fourth and six or whatever from, like, the 40, um, you know, Absent that catch, you look, you're looking at the 49ers having the ball uh, tied. And obviously, Purdy gets hurt, and the whole game just, like, collapses. It just falls apart, right, with, with fucking Josh Johnson in there. But the two main takeaways I had were, one, Kyle Shanahan is somehow still underrated, I feel like. Like, the fact that the 49ers this year went through like by the end of the season four different quarterbacks and they're still in the nfc championship game is just like absolutely insane to me not only is it like a testament to just like kyle shanahan as a as an offensive designer because you can just like throw anyone in there but also like having the guys ready behind them to actually take over is kind of crazy too right like most of the time you're not you you know you're not getting reps in with the first um the first team or whatever if you're a backup etc and so having the guys prepared to go in there um you know, was, was awesome. That being said though, I think he got too conservative. Um, once Josh Johnson got in there now, I understand it's like, it's Josh Johnson, right. But 
it's like they resigned to the fact that they were going to lose because they were down, I think it was like 14-7 or something at one point. Um, and from that point forward, it was just like handoff, 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 punt, handoff, handoff, you know, quick pass, punt. Um, and so I thought they got conservative. And once Brock Purdy was out, like it was it was just wraps. Uh, so I, don't, I feel like it was difficult for us to learn anything about the Eagles. Um, if anything, it's just like their D line is still really good, even against good competition. Um, you know, which bodes well for them against the Chiefs, but but uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I still can't fully believe in the Eagles. I feel, I mean, they went through the Giants who were fraudulent all year, and then the 49ers with Brock Purdy for like a quarter. So I don't know, I'm still skeptical, um, about what the Eagles can do in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes, but yeah, no, I'm I'm a little bit with you on uh, the key takeaways about shanahan but what are your thoughts ollie yeah well i'm i'm kind of siding with scopa here from a 49ers perspective the first three plays of the game you could argue that fred warner is their best player goes down with a concussion it seemed and you know for the rest of the game he seemed out of sorts i mean you look at the first touchdown for miles sanders fred warner was looking the complete opposite way where he could have had an easy tackle to you know prevent the first touchdown of the game and i think you know, a, a key player like that not being 100% on both sides of the ball with Brock Purdy going down early and Fred Warner, you know, out of out of whack, it seemed hard for the 49ers to compete with such a strong offense. Um, but, you know, I think they were – they did seem like they gave up as soon as Josh Johnson came in the game. Like I don't even know how many passes he threw, but, you know, they all seemed like they were nonchalant slants to, you know, the third receiver – that just didn't end up in anything. And they kind of gave up after the half. And, you know, from, from the Eagles standpoint, they're obviously a great football team, but I don't think that they've really proved themselves as, you know, a one seed in the, in the NFC, which seems great, but, you know, their playoff path, Daniel Jones and then Josh Johnson to get to the Super Bowl is just not something that I think can hold up for very much longer. Yeah. Um, so I honestly did not think that the Niners had a chance of winning this game. I really didn't. Um, I don't think Brock Purdy knew what he was getting himself into with this game. And I think the Eagles are incredibly dangerous. I think that on both sides of the ball, their personnel is something not to be messed around with. And I didn't think that the Niners had the facilities with a lack of quarterback play. Um, and even their secondary, I didn't think, was prepared to handle Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown um, and Goddard and Jalen Hurts and the battle in the trenches with the D-line. I think that the Eagles' D-line was going to give Purdy hell all night um, or all game because I think it was like an afternoon game. Let's talk about this Chiefs game. Uh, what are our takeaways? I think that this was one of the better games. A lot of people didn't like the game. Uh, I thought the game was pretty good uh, just because it was a, a close game, but – um, well, people are conditioned to only like 50 to 48 games. You know what I mean? It's like that's true. That's more offense, better game, um, which is true, like inherently to an extent, because it's like more scoring is more excitement. But I also think that there's like a little bit of a underrating of like suspense, right? Because it's like, to me, the game is exciting when it's like 
you're on the edge of your seat and you're like, fuck, this play is huge. This play is huge. This play is huge. And when there's so many like huge plays in the game, it's like, that's an exciting football game. Right. And that was the case with this one where it's like huge third down, huge third down, huge third down, because you felt like one team that could make a huge play, it could flip the game entirely. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. I, I thought it was a good game. Yeah. So what, what, what do we think about that? Um, that game, like what, what, did, what, what kind of takeaway do we have from it to the point where we're like, yeah, the Chiefs are legit, or are the Chiefs still fraudulent because of their weapons? Like, what, what are we, what are we thinking? I know there's a lot of discourse going around about it. Uh, I think that it's you can kind of see that the Chiefs have a decent defense, you know, contrary to prop, popular belief. Like, other than their D line, which is pretty decent, their ability to kind of almost shut down the passing offense to an extent, you know, with the wide receiver weapons, they were able to hold them to only two touchdowns throughout the game and. You know, I kind of hopefully that bodes well to the Super Bowl where they have to guard, you know, Smitty and A.J. Brown, arguably one of the best wide receiver duos in football, where they lock down Higgins and Chase. Yeah. One of the well, best with injured cornerbacks, too. Well, here, here's what I'm going to say. I think yeah. I'm going to take the opposite angle from you, Oliver, and I'm not going to say that this is a this is because the Chiefs defense is good. I think this is a testament of the brutal inconsistencies of the Cincinnati Bengals. And people will tell you that, like, they're actually not inconsistent and they're just like a really explosive offensive team. But like, if that were true, they would in the playoffs be doing way more than they have for the past two years, right? Like the Chiefs defense personnel wise is not good. They had a good game plan, which is rush the passer. And it's good because, you know, the Bengals have a really bad O-line. But you see, the thing is, is that people love to say, oh, the O-line is the reason the offense didn't play well. But then the next week, the dialogue is Joe Burrow's game plan or style of play overcomes O-line issues. And he's been doing it all year. So I don't understand which one it is, right? It, it's like, it's like I understand it's hard. Right? Like, that's the thing. Because there are definitely moments in the game where Joe Burrow, like, you did see him be effective despite the offensive line. And there are certain teams that you can certainly get away with it against, right? Um to where it's like good enough to where you being really good at dealing with pressure is sufficient. But when it's like, I mean, you have Chris Jones, who's arguably defensive player of the year and they're like rushing five and like he had, you know, hardly any time. It's like the O-line is like horrible, obviously. Yeah. Joe Burrow is good at dealing with pressure, but there's a certain extent to where it's like, how much can you really do and how consistently can you do that? No, but where, where are we going with that? Like, that was a little bit of, like, digression on my part. But where I was going with that was just, this says way more about the Bengals than it does the Chiefs. And it's just yeah. that the Bengals have a horrible O-line, right? Um, I don't think that their offense is as good as people make it out to be because of things like their O-line. And I don't think Burrow played particularly well. Uh, I think we can all agree that throwing crucial picks on a third down and four at the 40-yard line is not a good way to win. He's had three possessions to score a field goal at the end of the game, did not get it done. And we saw what an an absolute stud in Patrick Mahomes can do on the opposite side with one drive to go win the game. And there's a difference, right? The Bengals' defense was excellent all year all playoffs for the past two years, Patrick Mahomes had every skill position player injured. He's playing with a late draft capital running back, a good old line and an injured Kelsey who was thrown on the injury report with a pretty decently sized back injury right before the game. 
I think Juju was hurt. I know Hardman left the game. KT left the game. They were throwing a Kemp and Sky Moore the whole game. And I understand that there are degrees to which a team is hindered, but I don't want to hear for a second that the Bengals were even close to as hindered as the Chiefs were in terms of offensive personnel, right? Well, I think that there is the difference between the two quarterbacks that we have on display. And Joe Burrow is great, but he is not in the same conversation as Mahomes or players like Mahomes. Well, that's that's where I wanted to go with the Burrow thing, which is I don't I I don't want to hear his name mentioned with Tom Brady again until we see something different. Because there there's a feeling that you get when Tom Brady has the ball with two minutes left. And the feeling is they they win. And I wanted to have that feeling so bad when the Bengals got the ball because I was rooting for the Bengals because I like Joe Burrow. I like Jamar Chase. I like, you know, just like the Bengals roster. Um, And I also think their uniforms are sick. So, like, I like watching them play. Um, But they get the ball with, like, 216 left. And I'm like, oh, it's Joe Burrow. Like, he's going to win the game, right? He picks up a big third, like, third and 16. And it's like, okay, this is where I've watched Tom Brady as a Patriots fan, like, do this a million times. It's like, he gets one big play. Boom. That's it. They're scoring on this drive. And then you, after that, it's like three plays punt to the 40. And it's like, now you have Patrick Mahomes with, you know, under a minute, but they're already on the 40 yard line, 50 yard line, something like that. You're telling me you're giving Patrick Mahomes like 40 to 50 seconds to get like 20, 25, 30 yards. Like that's going to happen. Right. So I I don't want to hear Burrow's name mentioned with Patrick Mahomes and with Tom Brady, because both of those guys when they have the ball with two minutes left or less, you just get this sense that it's like inevitable. Like, like they're going to snap their fingers and win this game. And I wanted to have the feeling with Burrow and like, it just, it's, it's not the same. Yeah, no, I, I a hundred percent agree. Um, I don't know where, like coming into the league, I was one of the highest people on Joe Burrow. And I was like, I was like basically a fanboy. but like as many as the narratives with players grow, I tend to grow off of them because, I mean, naturally in sports, when people take things to extreme degrees, it kind of turns you off of them. And one of those things are like these kind of egregious narratives that are constructed around Joe Burrow based on his like persona and like personality. Um, and like, it's like cool that like, you know, he's got like all the dope nicknames, like his fashion's dope, his demeanor's dope, right? But like, what that comes with is like absurd overrating. Like people thinking he's better than Mahomes. Uh, people ascribing like this unjustified clutch narrative to him that like is that people would unironically put in the conversation with like all time greats. And like even like Patrick Mahomes, who I personally think is an all time great at this point, but to say that he's even close to as clutch as any of those guys, even Aaron Rodgers makes no sense. And we know that there are narratives against Aaron Rodgers in terms of like his clutchness, which I mean, regardless of what you believe, Joe Burrow's proven nothing about how. Well, I I think yeah I agree a hundred percent I I mean Joe Burrow is still a top five quarterback I think and I think that like, like he's still got plenty of an opportunity into the future to prove that he can do that but it's like we we looked at him and we were like hey this guy is white smart and unathletic he must be Tom Brady because he's pretty good and it's like. No, 
not every like white unathletic quarterback who is like good is going to be Tom Brady good. And so I agree hundred percent. If anyone was Tom Brady in this game, it's Patrick Mahomes. But um, I will say the, the last drive, man, like I believe that Patrick Mahomes would have gotten it anyway. But like when you said earlier, it was like, you said something along the lines of, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes pulled it off with the last drive or whatever. That play by uh, what's his is it Asai? That's his last name, right? Yeah. That play, man. Like everyone's to blame him, okay? And I understand like the, the 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 feeling to want to. The issue that I have is it's such a difficult spot for defenders, and the call isn't wrong because he did push him like once he was out of bounds. But every yard that Patrick Mahomes gets to tightrope the sideline is an extra yard he's closer to kicking a game-winning field goal in the AFC championship game, right? And this kid has to make a split second decision where he needs, he wants to try to push him out of bounds to prevent those extra yards, but has to do it not only like right before he steps out of bounds, but far enough away from out of bounds so that it doesn't even look like it was late, if that makes sense, right? So like, even if one of his foot is like close to being out of bounds, um, you're, you're in the range of zones where you might get, get that 15 yard penalty. So I honestly just felt bad for him, to be honest, because it's such a difficult spot for defenders. And I feel that way a lot of the times with like roughing the passer, um, you know, hitting the quarterback when he slides, when they're running out of bounds, all of those things. It just it really does put the the defender in such a difficult position. I mean, I completely agree. Like, you don't really think about it from the perspective of the defender. You kind of just see like, oh, he, he got a penalty called on him. So therefore, it's his fault. But, you know, there were a lot of missed opportunities throughout the game, you know, only, only scoring 20 points uh, in the championship game with one of the best offenses in football could be, you know, very difficult for a team. And I think that the Bengals had, you know, top five quarterback in the league, top five receiver in the league, top 10 running back. They just, they, they, they missed too many opportunities for, you know, to put points on the board, especially late in the game. Uh, and I think people are overlooking that and kind of just putting all the blame on Osai for the missed tackle or for the penalty getting called on him. Yeah. I mean, like, it was a pretty devastating scene in the locker room. Like, yeah. I, I forgot who it was, but uh, the dude, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the video. Don't worry, it's just yeah, like, some other linebacker that blamed him or whatever. I think, I think it was Jermaine Pratt. He was like, yeah. he was, man, this is my last year. Why the hell you touch the quarterback, bro? It's like fair. Also, to add on that, Bucker would not have made the field goal fifteen yards back. He barely, he barely squeaked by on the. On the... Well, I think, I think the argument is that Mahomes still had nine seconds to get, you know, ten yards, and I feel like Mahomes can hit, you know, a ten yard out in nine seconds. I mean, obviously, we'll never know, but yeah. So honestly, let's talk about the next thing that we have on the agenda which is the head coaching carousel. We have a bunch of new hires, um, a specific coach coming out of retirement that came with a trade. So I think that it's right to start there with the biggest one, Sean Payton. Uh, I believe the Saints package that they're getting is like a first and a third round pick, or they're like a couple. First and second. So a first this year and a second next year. Yeah, for Sean Payton and a third. Yeah, that's a that's a haul. 
Yeah, Ethan, sure. I kind of want to know what your thoughts are because I know you wanted Sean Payton in Arizona, but would yeah. you have given up this for Arizona and would you, you know, give it up if you're the Broncos? Uh, personally, um, I'm giving up the 103, 104, whatever we have this year. Um, I would give that up straight up. For Sean like, Payton? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but like, there's just no way Will Anderson or Jalen Carter is more important to my franchise than a Hall of Fame coach locked under contract for like as long as I need him there for. Like, because regardless of the personnel that I have, if I have an incompetent man in that front office, nothing is going to happen. And I think coaching is one of those underrated things that could have happened that 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 a team can invest in like a hundred percent. Right. Um, Sean Payton is a proven guy. He has raised the floors of some horrible teams. And I think that his contribution in Arizona would have been much more impactful than even uh, all pro career from a Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. I tend to agree. I, I mean, especially for the Broncos, because, I mean, they traded the 29th pick or whatever, right? And a second. And they're so deep into this Russell Wilson thing that it's like, man, you've got four more years of Russell Wilson or whatever it is, right? Before you can you can even cut him for, for anything. And even still, it's like an insane dead cap. And so there isn't a move that you can make um, for a singular pick or two picks or whatever that can change as much of your franchise as, as bringing in the right coach can um, because it affects so many more positions than just like whoever you would have drafted there. Uh, particularly when you put it in the context of like that, that pick is from Miami uh, originally from San Francisco that they got for, for Bradley Chubb. Right. So it's like, would you give Bradley Chubb in a second for Sean Payton a hundred times out of a hundred? Absolutely. Right. Um, and it's not like they have, opportunities to improve their roster much anyway with the picks because they traded them all the way in the Russell Wilson trade. Um, and their roster isn't that bad already, right? You know, you add maybe an O-lineman, um, maybe a front seven guy in the in free agency. And you got a you got a pretty decent team if you can figure out Russell Wilson. Um, you know, with those assuming the receivers can stay healthy. So yeah, I agree. I 100 percent agree. I think I think it's a good move for the Broncos and uh the thing that I, I, I want to be careful of, though, is everyone's going to do the same thing with the Broncos that they did last year when they brought in Russell Wilson. They're going to say, oh, well, the Chiefs have to be scared now because maybe they won't win the division because they have to go through Sean Payton twice a year or, like, whatever. I still don't buy any of that. Like, the Chiefs are winning that division. They're going to – maybe they get one game off of them or whatever, but um, I still think that the ceiling for the Broncos is going to be, you know, wild card weekend assuming everything goes super well, just because of how deep the AFC is, particularly the AFC West, because I think the Chargers and the uh, Chiefs will obviously still be very good uh, next year. So it definitely raises their floor, uh, but I don't know that ultimately being locked into Russell Wilson, I think it caps their ceiling still, even with Sean Payton. The one thing I'll say about this Sean Payton trade is that they put a lot of their future into 
Russell Wilson and Sean Payton by basically sending away three firsts and three seconds for a team that's, you know, in a win-now situation, but also they're not winning. So I feel like, you know, Sean Payton's obviously a great head coach, but I think that they – them going out of their way to get him on, on uh, into Denver is – it almost seems like they did it for the wrong reason because, you know, they already have so much of their future sent away that they're committing to a, a win now, but they don't really have the team to win. And I think if they're yeah. going to be a team that trades away their assets for, for a coach, why not trade away their assets for like a really good player? Like one of those top receivers that's on the trade block or a young player for the secondary to, to pair with Sertan. Well, I think the problem is the Broncos are a franchise that just doesn't like bottom out. That that's kind of you know the 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 thought behind the uh, the Broncos franchise is it's very rare that they just absolutely are just garbage. Most of the Broncos teams I've seen, it's like they're competitive, you know, they're they're middle of the pack sort of thing at the very least. And so the idea is like we're not going to be good no matter what happens in these next four years, probably. That's what I think. And so it's like, well, we can either give up this first and second for a chance to be solid, like in the playoffs, potentially sort of thing. And maybe who knows, like he can turn back the clock on Russ. Like it's a high upside move, um, higher upside than anything else would be. Cause like, I mean, is the Russ that we saw this year with an extra receiver, like, does that change much? I don't think so. Cause the receivers were solid enough. Right. Um, Javante will be back. Uh, and so I think it's like, we need to raise our floor and our ceiling at the same time. Nothing does that with this asset like getting Sean Payton might do. And usually it doesn't make sense to go all in once you've made a mistake already. But when the second thing that you decide to go all in on could potentially reverse the first mistake or make the first mistake better somehow, if that makes sense, it it seems like then it might make sense to do that. Um, and it's less of like the sunk cost issue where you know we're just going all in because we've already went all in and it's like we've gone all in we have no choice but to see if that all in move it was actually an all in move like and Sean Payton's the way to sort of figure that out so yeah, but would you would you also argue that they kind of don't know where they are in in terms of obviously win now or rebuild because if if they were you know trying to win why would they let Bradley Chubb walk well, the issue is they have no choice because they can't rebuild with Russ on the roster. I mean, he's, what is he, like 32 or something, 33? I think he's like 34. Yeah, and he's on a four-year contract that you can't get rid of, like, at all. And so they've basically made the decision to go all in last season, and it didn't work. But because they made that decision to go all in, and that decision was broader reaching than like a one year, two year, like let's go all in right now. Like the Rams where it was, you know, we're going to, we're going to give away two years worth of picks and give out all these contracts for players that are on the same timeline. You've basically committed yourself to a four year all in window with Russ. Um, and so is there a way to be even more all in that increases your, your floor and ceiling with a first and second that's different than Sean Payton or better than Sean Payton. And I, can't imagine that whatever players you would draft or trade for with those picks would do that in the same way that Sean Payton does. That, that's what I think. And Russ is under contract for six more years, but after four, they can cut him. You know, they'd have an insane dead cap. So really it's even longer than four years. So basically it's like, 
the Broncos are screwed no matter what if if Russ is actually cooked. Um, they're yeah. going to be. He started to play well towards the end of the season, which showed a little bit of promise. And Judy, you know, looks really good. And I think this Sean Payton signing is going to do wonders for him rather than Corlin Sutton. I think they're kind of going to switch the wide receiver one and two. But uh, I I think that they're just missing a couple pieces to actually compete. Like everyone thought at the beginning of last year that they were going to be contenders, like potentially winning the West, and they just completely shat the bed. Yeah, that hype was crazy. I mean, I yeah. I was never there with that, um, and I still am not. Like I said, I think, you know, the Chiefs are better. The Bengals are going to be better. I think the Chargers will still be better, um, especially if they can get, you know, some semblance of a running game going and stay healthy. Uh, I still think the Ravens, if Lamar stays, will be better. The Bills will be better. You know what I mean? There's like plenty of teams that are still going to be better. I just think it's I like think the Jets are better. Depending on who they get at quarterback, they absolutely could be. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, I think that they have they're just missing like one or two pieces. Like give me one more lineman and a quarterback, and I think we're we're up there. Yeah, I can uh, see that for sure. All the Patriots have to do is trade Mac Jones and draft Caleb Williams, and then you know we'll. Yeah, but do you think Bill Belichick's ever going to tank for the number one overall pick? Sadly, no, but 100% they should. I think Bill Belichick and Mike Tomlin are the, are the same when it comes to that. Like, they will never, ever be, like, a lottery pick if there was in the NFL. They'll never be a lottery pick. Yeah. I would – it's not really a Patriots discussion, but I would do whatever I could to get off Mac Jones and try to figure out something else with higher upside than Mac Jones. But uh, Who's uh, this next coach? So- yeah, so let's um let's go to uh the other most recent one, which is D'Amico Ryan's the Texans. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Cause obviously he doesn't have like a whole lot of coaching experience, but obviously he played in the NFL, was awesome there, has been great as the the 49ers uh defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh what are your thoughts well, on him? So I don't know a whole lot about him as a coach since like before this season. I didn't. I never really heard his name that much. I, all I know him is as Robert Sala's replacement on the Niners' defense. But I will say that I do like that the Texans are moving towards a young coach with energy that'll bring like a new fire to the to the locker room, kind of like a Dan Campbell situation, or even you could say a Robert Sala. Like you see, Tamika Ryan's on the sideline of the 49ers getting really hyped with the defense. Like he's like he's part of the team. He's not just you know gonna sit up in the in the front office and or in his office and just make a bunch of decisions. I think he's going to be, you know, he's going to consider himself a teammate. I think it's going to be a great move for their future because, you know, they're pretty bad. Um, I just think that that's not the only move the Texans need to make. I, I think that they are a few pieces out. They, I mean, their defense is, is getting there. Their offense is mid at best. They, they just got to make a couple moves with, with the draft and with the offseason to really make this D'Amico signing worth it. Yeah, I uh, personally, I'm not familiar with his game. Um, <laughs> I can't really give a uh, a fair analysis of how he is as a coach, but I can totally agree with what's been said so far about the type of energy and culture that he would bring to the locker room, right? Um, and I think that that's totally true, right? I think that we're going to see a complete cleaning of the house um, from a system and a offense perspective in Houston, you know, they're probably going to go ahead and draft like a Bryce Young, a CJ Stroud, a Levis, whoever they can get their hands on. Um, and I think it's just going to be an open shop. I don't think Brandon Cooks will be there. Um, I think it'll just be new. I think they're going to get a new wide receiver, one in town to pair with whoever that quarterback is. New, fresh, uh, new, fresh offensive coach or a uh, new, fresh uh, head coach along with 
a new quarterback and a new wide receiver. Um, I like it. I think it'll be a good culture change. They need a guy like this to kickstart a, uh, a rebuild. Well, I want to say a couple of things about this. So the first is they already have their wide receiver one in Nico Collins. He's him, sadly. Um, but that definitely they should draft somebody else. But my only concern, because I agree with most of what you said, he he was a very good defensive coordinator this year with the 49ers. Especially, he was just very good at putting players in the position to win, right? So, like, using players to their strength. Um, the only two reservations I would have is, one, that San Francisco defense was extremely talented. So, putting players in the position to win is, like, easy when you have Nick Bosa and, like, Fred Warner and, you know, all these guys. Uh, Greenlaw. But I still am confident he's going to have a very good defense uh, with the Texans. The general issue that I have, though, is just head coaches, like hiring defensive head coaches is tough, right? I, th- I think especially when you're drafting a quarterback, most likely in this draft, like you're going to have a rookie quarterback with a defensive head coach. And historically, you want an offensive genius with that guy to help him develop. And you're you're not going anywhere without developing the quarterback. So to me, I'm holding off some of my, my uh, decision on this hire until I see what the offensive coordinator is. Because if they bring in a, an awesome offensive coordinator, a QB coach, or some sort of quarterback whisperer that they can pair with Miko Ryans, I love it, right? But if he's going to be one of these defensive guys who struggles to pick an offensive coordinator, struggles to develop a quarterback, then he can be as good as he want wants to be on the defensive end. Their ceiling is always going to be capped, and he's going to be running a mid-treadmill for like a couple of years and ultimately get fired. So I really want to see what the offensive coordinator before I'm like 100% on board. But for the most part, I definitely agree that the culture change um, should hopefully work out for the Texans. I agree with all those points. Seeing firsthand a defensive coach being brought in and drafting Mr. Zach Wilson and him just not doing well, I think that that's one reason why defensive-minded coaches are are a little shaky, especially when you're going into a full rebuild. But, you know, if if – I'll agree that I will hold off my like full analysis on this signing until we figure out who who's going to be calling the plays in the offense. The other important thing about the Texans is like I'm almost more excited about who they kicked out than who they brought in, um, because Nick Casario is gone. Like the the pastor's out of the building, making these horrible decisions. Like who are we going to have be the GM? And like can we get our drafts right? Can we make sure that we're not losing these trades by a million miles every single time? Like you know. And will the culture of the team change from the bottom up with D'Amico Ryans um, now that Nick Casario is gone? So definitely, I, I like the direction. Uh, okay, so we can go to the other hire, which is Frank Reich to Carolina. Um, I actually like this move for Carolina. I think that Frank Reich sort of got a raw deal in Indianapolis, and he sort of took the fall for the GM's failures because... They were just on a treadmill of trading for a terrible quarterback every single year and hoping that it was an upgrade when it never was, whether it was Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz, and then like the debacle this year with trying to decide between Nick Foles and whoever the other guy was, I forget his name, um, who was just like also terrible, and Matt Ryan. And it's like, man, he always had a, a pretty solid defense. Um, he like The running game was good. I think the offense was generally like, interesting and unique it just couldn't like it just struggled with the quarterback and so I mean you could say the same thing about Carolina right now like they don't have a quarterback I assume we'll address that in the draft if not then like that's a GM problem but from a culture and 
you know, ingenuity standpoint, I really like Frank Reich. I think he's proven that he can be a really good, you know, to a, a good to above average to very good head coach, basically. Um, and I think his stability is something that's very important with Carolina because they've gone through so many coaches. They've gone through so many quarterbacks that it's like, can we get a guy in here who actually knows what the fuck he's doing? Like we know that for sure so that we can have some stability with whoever the quarterback that we bring is. And like we just talked about with D'Amico Ryan's, like he was the architect of Carson Wentz's MVP almost season. Right. Um, And so I think that whatever quarterback they do bring in, he can, you know, be a, a guiding force for that quarterback to help him develop. So I'm pretty happy with the hire. I, I actually like it. I think it's going to depend a lot on what they do in the draft, but um, I, I do think that there's a lot of promise in Carolina. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I see Carolina and uh, the Texans in, in a very similar situation where they're both teams that are missing a ton of pieces from being successful. And, you know, Frank Reich had to take the fall for a lot of the, the Colts being just mid for the past couple of years. Uh, this year, it was so you, – you never knew who was starting for their team every week, you know, with four different running backs throughout the season and four different quarterbacks. You, you never really know what you're going to get, and Frank Wright kind of took the fall. But I think him going to Carolina will kind of define Carolina as, all right, we have our head coach. We know that that part of – you know, that part of our issue is uh, taken care of. Frank Wright is obviously a very good head coach. It's just now who – what players are we going to bring in to kind of allow Frank Reich to do his thing and help us succeed for the coming yeah. years. And I, I think the Panthers are sneakily close to being a good team. Like they've got a good offensive line. They've got DJ Moore. They've got like JC Horn. They've got a couple of guys on that defense, like Brian Burns. Um, and I think like, I, I think they're sneakily close to being good if they can nail this draft and Frank Reich um, can write the ship a little bit. Yeah. And Especially also, in that division, I was just about to say, yeah, the NFC South now with Tom Brady yeah. packing his bags, it, that, that's an open division. I think that, you know, if you're a 500 team in that division, you're competing, kind of like the AFC South this year. Dude, that might be my take for next year, depending on how the draft goes. Like, Carolina wins that division because you've got a bad coach in New Orleans, in my opinion, with, like, who knows what at quarterback. Um, an aging Alvin Kamara, aging Michael Thomas that's probably gone. And you've got the Bucks, which are going to be in shambles probably with like no quarterback and who knows like how healthy they're going to be. They're aging a bit. And you've got um, the Falcons, which again, they don't know what they're doing at quarterback. Their defense is horrible. They've got a mid running back. Really the only thing they have going for them is a couple of really good receiving threats. And so I could absolutely see the path to nailing this draft for the Panthers and winning the NFC South next year, honestly. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Yeah, no, I, I actually agree. I really like this Frank Reich hire. Like, I really, really like it. Um, He was one of the best coaches out there uh, in the open market. Uh, what he did, uh, what he was able to design in Philly was excellent, right? The type of offense that he run was, like, very RPO heavy, um, very modern. Uh, and he was able to adjust based on the types of quarterbacks that he had. And that's, like, the staple testament of a good coach, right? You go from different quarterback situations, different levels of adversity, and also being able to adjust with those quarterbacks, right? Because not only did he coach um, Carson Wentz in Philly, but he also coached him in Indianapolis, but then also worked with like a statue, Philip Rivers, right? Um, and it, it's just insane. 
Like this guy goes from coaching all different levels of play, uh, different types of play, but also their offenses have always been decent. They've always been like top 12 level offenses. Um, And I think that he got fired because of collateral. It was like basically the front office is why he got fired. Um, It was just like the constant attempts to uh, bring in a guy to put them over the edge when really the only reason they were on the edge was because that was their ceiling because of Frank Reich. At least that's my opinion. I think that the only reason why people were fooled into thinking that they were a quarterback away is because they had such good offenses with mid personnel because of Frank Reich. I mean, it could have been the case that they were, you know, uh, a quarterback away, but they just kept getting the wrong quarterback. I mean, yes, I just think Frank Reich was a collateral of that. So, yeah, I agree 100%. y'all want my take on this so so hear me out so um i think that both the texans and the panthers like you guys were saying like how they're both in similar situations with brand new head coaches but i'm excited for both hirings for different reasons Tamiko ryan's is a texans legend everyone that's a texans fan knows how great he is or how great he was when he was playing um and going from david coley for a year to lovey smith for a year to now it's Miko Ryans, who he has the structure of a defense. He's just a great coach overall, and he gets the best out of the players, like you guys were saying. Like It's like going from mid-mid to like home run if he hits the potential that he should. And then with what you guys were saying about how he has he has to draft a quarterback now because they Davis Mills is not the answer, and they have the number two pick. So prime example and position to take a quarterback. And the same thing with the Panthers. Like The Panthers' defense was playing out of their minds this year. Brian Burns is one of the best edge rushers in the league. Um, JC Horn was very quickly becoming one of the best corners in the league up until the broken wrist, broken hand. I don't remember, but um, Frank Reich is like the perfect hire that they could have had because there was already a defense like structured out. Um, I don't know if they retained any of the previous coaches or anything. Probably not. Cause I know that doesn't typically happen, but the Panthers are also in a prime spot to take a quarterback if they want to trade up. They could take Stroud. They could take Levis. And every year that Frank Reich was in, in Indianapolis, he had not the quarterback that he originally wanted or whatever. It was like some quarterback that was basically on their on their last run to try to you know play well, and none of them worked out. Um, and he's developed – like earlier Carson Wentz was pretty good. That was MVP level season. And just him actually having his own quarterback now is going to be huge because it's the structure that he has within the offense now that he could control a player that actually fits what they need. And then also they have like DJ Moore. They have their running backs. I know that they're not like A-list running backs, but they were they were playing pretty well in the second half of the season after they traded McCaffrey. I mean, they need a they improved on the offensive line. Ikemukwanu didn't have the best year, but you know, in the trenches, they, they're getting better. Um, and I just think that Frank Reich is like like the perfect extra piece. Like with what you guys are saying about how the Broncos needed that great coach, and I think that the Panthers also got their great coach, except they didn't have to pay a first and a second round pick for him. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna step in here real quick, Justin, um, on that point. Um, I think that schematically, this move makes a lot of sense because of the types of personnel and where they are good at and what they need 
in conjunction with Frank Reich's skill set. For example, they don't have running backs. That is good for a rebuild, right? They don't have a running back on a contract. When they traded Christian McCaffrey, it was good for them, right? You have skill position players like DJ Moore to have like a really good wide receiver to build around. They could obviously add to that in the draft, which I expect them to do, right? Then you also have a really, really good corner in JC Horn. Your O-line is very good right now. So what they're doing is they're slowly piecing together the roster that's going to have longevity and that what you need to do to age into a really good team. But also with the addition of a new quarterback, Frank Reich is the perfect coach for that, right? He was known as a quarterback whisperer his whole time in Philly. That's why they brought him over to Indianapolis, but they never had to develop a quarterback. They just needed him to potty train Carson Wentz again, which I mean, shit. (laughs) I mean, exactly with what you're saying, how they have those rebuilding pieces. I mean, we were talking about the Saints before. The Saints are in cap hell yet again. They have mid quarterbacks, like their coach sucks. So Saints not going to win the division. The Bucks, I mean, Brady just left. They're in prime position to just blow up and then move whatever they want. But, you know, there's a big question mark of what they're going to do. Um, and then the Falcons, I mean, Falcons are the Falcons. They, I don't take them too seriously. The Panthers, out of all the teams in that division, they're 100% the ones that you got to like the, the Panthers look the best in terms of the future out of all those teams. Yeah. I think, I think they should, uh, I mean, what's his face? The guy who owns the team has all that money. I think they should go after Vic Fangio, to be honest, um, as the DC, but, um, there's two other openings that have yet to be filled, um, that are sort of interesting. The first one is the place that Frank Wright came from. Uh, so Indy, if they hire Jeff Saturday, it's just an unserious organization and they should be kicked out of the league and we should just replace them with somebody else. Cause what the fuck? Like there's no way unless, unless Brock Purdy start coaching him. No, 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 no. Unless the plan is we hire Jeff Saturday for one season, get Caleb Williams and then fire him. I'm on board for that plan. Okay. If your plan is we're going to be as bad as possible without like, without actually like tanking because we're going to hire a terrible coach. Okay, I'll listen to that. Otherwise, unserious, like unserious to bring back Jeff Saturday. Um, like, and that's the other thing too. It's like, you know what you lost in Frank Reich when you bring in Jeff Saturday and then you look at like how they play and it's like, wow, okay. I mean, it looks like Frank Reich was just holding this whole thing together somehow because they just literally fell off the rails. Um, and so I think, I, I think... Both of these teams that we're going to talk about, like them and the Cardinals, honestly, I'm looking at Harbaugh, man. Like, bring Harbaugh back to the NFL. I never understood what it was like. Uh, his departure from San Fran never really made much sense to me. Um, he doesn't want to come to the NFL anymore. He he said a while ago that he's staying in Michigan. A while ago? Yeah, this was a while ago. Like, well, he took like last year? Like, a conversation. No, like this year, like in the like early, early offseason. He's like, I'm coming back to Michigan. I'm not well there's so much buzz around him right now like that he might want to come back to the NFL I don't know this was like very he took he made his stance pretty clear in the uh in the the early offseason or not the early offseason you know like early firings uh like early college football like offseason so like December. I don't know man I think 
I think he can be convinced to come to the NFL potentially. I mean, if not, then it is what it is. But if I'm a team that's looking for a coach right now, one of these two teams, that's my first call. Like, what does it take to get you to come to back to the NFL? Because I think Harbaugh is an awesome coach. He's like electric on the sideline. I think he has good atmosphere. Um, like uh, he can build a good culture. It's also obviously very good um, schematically. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't know what other like coaching candidates are out there, man. Like I, I really don't. Flores, it's Brian Flores. Oh, Brian Flores. I actually like Brian Flores. I think it's a good hot. I mean, the thing about Brian Flores is the same thing that I would say about D'Amico Ryan's. You got to bring a good offensive coordinator with him. It's like, just, it's just like, uh, like I like Brian Flores. He's a good coach. It's just a floor move, bro. Like I'm like I know what I'm getting. Like I'm getting a really good like defensive coach, but like not much else. Like I mean, would you say that about Mike Tomlin? No, I think Mike Tomlin has a history of being like of leading not only good defenses but good offenses as well, and he also knows yeah, how to. I mean, my point is like he was a head coach for what two years, and Brian Flores is able to bring a good staff over. Well, that's I mean that's what I that's what I just said right was we got to he he needs to make sure that he brings over a good offensive coordinator, but um, but for culture and like turning. Uh, especially if you already have a good franchise quarterback. Like I think, I think that hire makes a lot more sense for Arizona than it would for, um, for Indy because Indy just doesn't have, you know, anything figured out on offense basically, except for the fact that they're going to pay Jonathan Taylor, um, which, you know, there's a lot of buzz about like Flores not really being liked by players in the Miami locker room. And like, I tend to believe some of those things based on the sheer number of people saying it. Um, but honestly, like Brian Flores isn't exactly a hire that like really, really excites me. Like he's a great coach, but like, or like, he's a good coach. I I don't think he's a great coach. I think he raised the floor of the Dolphins with like good defensive schemes, not convinced he could really hire or bring anybody over. But I do think that at the end of the day, I think I'd much rather at this point, take a flyer on some college dude. Like, I mean, you got to remember that Miami was trying to tank while he was there. He also had five different offensive coordinators in three years. That's crazy. Like, mathematically, that's just dumb. Two of which in his last year were um, in-house. And you co-offensive coordinators is like one of the dumbest things that a coach can do. Especially when there's when the offense itself has no scheme or anything. Yeah, well, that's why I say it makes more sense for Arizona because at least you already know that you've got Kyler, Mur- Kyler Murray. Um, so your offense has a floor set to it already, um, where, you know, you're, you're going to have some level of explosiveness offensively already. I just think, I don't know. I, I get the sense that he's a good culture guy. Um, I understand like some of the things about, you know, not liking him or whatever, but I think that's also, you got to remember that he's a, he's a Belichick disciple. So he's a little bit more difficult to deal with generally. Like I'm sure a lot of people would say that they don't like Belichick because he's so like harsh and whatever. Um, but I do think that he can establish a culture um, that, I mean, Arizona needs a culture. Wh- whoever their hire is, like they need someone to be like a leader. And but a if good. he's if he's a hard ass, then how is he going to go with Kyler Murray? Well, like, well, maybe I mean, that's what Kyler needs though, right? Like, Stop with this narrative, bro. Like don't even get me started about that. Like, that I don't even know where that comes from. Kyler Murray is the least of the Cardinals' worries. Like, 
the, that's, that, that's the first thing. The second thing is, have we considered Cliff Kingsbury? Like, I think he's available. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm so serious. Like, he has the Joe Burrow effect, bro. Like, he's shysty, you know? Dude, why yeah. is nobody looking at Eric B. Enemy still? I mean, I think people tend to believe that he's unserious. Based on what? I mean, like, it's based on uh, Mahomes. He also doesn't call the plays in Kansas City. And he hasn't. I don't know if he's ever called plays. Respectfully, I don't know if I care. Because, like, he's an Andy Reid disciple. There's no way he doesn't know how to, like, call plays and run that offense that they run in Kansas City. Like, bro, what what did the Rams ask for Sean McVay? They won't trade him in division. No, nah, but I mean, if you're the Colts. I mean, like... It's got to be, like, two first, probably. I don't think uh, – I think Sean McVay would just retire, though. Like, I don't think he'd be traded. Like, he was already on the fence about wanting to even come back. And, like, well, he's in Los I mean, Angeles. Would, would you not be – Indianapolis, bro. Well, I guess for location-wise, I wasn't considering that. But, like, football situation – Oh, no, dude, the reason why he'd want to – the reason why he wanted to leave coaching is because he didn't – or the, like, projected reason why he wanted to do is because he didn't want to be part of a rebuild. Right. He was completely tanking. They're rebuilding. Well, I would say this. Indy's a better rebuild than the Rams. I mean, like... At least you've got the fourth overall pick. You can slide up for a quarterback or draft one there. And then, like, you've got Jonathan Taylor. you got Michael Pittman. you got... Mo Cox. Yeah, Mo Cox. Dude, fuck Mo Cox. you got Jelani Woods. you got a sick defense, too. Yeah, you've got a solid defense, like... You're in a mid division, like I can see it. Um, I think people yeah. also forget how good of, like Shaq Leonard when he was playing, or Darius, is it Shaq Leonard or Darius Leonard, whatever his name is now. Um, he, I'm pretty sure it's Shaq. Um, he's amazing linebacker that any coach would love to have on their team. And the fact that Indianapolis still hasn't actually hired a coach, despite all the carousel that's happened in the last few days, is very telling on just how the organization itself is just unserious. Like, Jeff yeah, Saturday is seriously one of the candidates. Like, are we being for real right now? Yeah, they should have hired Frank Reich, bro. 100%. Yeah. Anyway, what, what, what are we discussing next? All right, next topic is Tom Brady's retirement. All right, I'm out, guys. Uh I will. Uh, I will see y'all later. No. no well, unironically, I'm uh, I'm out. Seriously. All right. Um, but I will talk to you guys later. Have a good conversation about that stuff. Yeah. Peace, peace. Um, so I mainly wanted to talk about this because I'm a Patriots fan. Grew up a Patriots fan. Uh, like my first ever exposure to football was watching Tom Brady, and like. Yes, he went to the Bucks. I still rooted for him anyway. I think Tom Brady, like, and I just want to appreciate it because it's like, it's difficult when he sort of flip-flopped on the retirement last year to appreciate it where it's like, this is definitely the end. I mean, even today on like sports talk shows and stuff, everyone's like, how long will this last? And it's like, well, what if this is forever? And if it's forever, I just wanted to like discuss Brady's career, his legacy, what he means for football and what he meant for like a generation of people because I think that 
the generation before ours had Michael Jordan, right? And everyone grew like everyone talks about Michael Jordan, like he had an impact on them, not only their love for basketball, but like beyond that, right? It was like a role model. He like made certain things cool or whatever. Um, you know, the shoes, all of those things. And he was a sort of cultural figure. And we over the time period, because we didn't have the same access like social media and we weren't talking about sports every single day on TV and all of this stuff, um, his like grandeur sort of grew over the years. And now we reflect on it. And like whenever you bring him up, he's almost like a mystical figure. And I kind of don't want to lose that because we're watching it in real time and we can talk about it every day. And I I don't want to lose like the retrospective view of like what Tom Brady has done for the sport for people in general and for like culture because I don't know about you guys but growing up with Tom Brady especially as the quarterback of my favorite team he was like a role model for me growing up almost where it's like he represented what it meant to be professional like to work hard to show up to work like the underdog story that you could achieve anything like the whole thing right um that you can you know submit yourself to a system and like be the best version of yourself in that system um the the stories from his teammates that said like he was just the nicest guy ever um he would always like bring them in and you know make them feel comfortable etc um always taking like responsibility for losses um j- just like the whole thing and i i don't want that to be lost on on us because of the age of social media that we have and that we tend to like make jokes about everything like yes he like kisses his kids in a weird way like I agree but that doesn't like that doesn't remove all of the things that we've watched Tom Brady accomplish and inspire us to do along the way um and like I'm gonna remember Tom Brady for early Tom Brady because that's the Tom Brady that I grew up with like I'm gonna remember like Moss era and before Tom Brady Um, but the fact that I grew up with that Tom Brady and like, that's the Tom Brady that I remember. And like, I like experience, that's the lens through which I view Tom Brady. You have a whole new generation of, of football fans who got into football, hating Tom Brady because he was still that Tom Brady a whole generation later, um, 10 years after winning those Super Bowls. So like, it's, he really truly is like the Wayne Gretzky or Michael Jordan of football. Um, and I just think like it we might have a discussion in the future about Patrick Mahomes being in a conversation with Tom Brady but at this point it's just like we got to stop and and give him his flowers I think to a certain extent um for just like the cultural icon that he's become um yeah I I totally agree with that um obviously as a Jets fan it was hard to appreciate Tom Brady well you know always getting beat down by him but you know at the same time he always was just such a dominant player like he was a winner he was a he was a great leader for their team I mean he was always the best player on the best team so I mean looking back at it now more so when he left the Patriots I could really appreciate how good he was and how like honestly actually how great he was and, um, you know, I mean, looking at it, he is this generation's like, for us, it's Tom Brady, it's LeBron, it's like Sidney Crosby and Ovechkin, and it's, uh, there's not really a baseball player like that. Like but, Derek Jeter, you know, maybe? Almost, yeah, almost like a Derek Jeter, I'd say. And uh, and for the new, uh, like you said, for the new generation, like, they're going to have Mahomes, they have Connor McDavid, they have, like, Giannis, 
and then Mike Trout, you know, they're not going to, they, they really aren't going to appreciate Tom Brady for what he did, how, how he did it, how great of a leader he was. But I will say that as a, again, as a Jets fan, it was always the worst thing in the world, just playing Tom Brady twice a year, because one, you knew you were going to lose. And two, if there was any glimmer of hope, if you were leading in any game, you weren't winning the game. You give the Tom Brady the ball with 80 yards in 60 seconds. He's taking, he's scoring a touchdown with 15 seconds left. Yeah. And I think and that you know, I'm, I'm almost glad Ethan's not here for this because what you're, what you're articulating right now is the same thing I've articulated about Tom Brady forever that Ethan doesn't think exists. And it's this, this thing that it, and, and stats people, like they don't understand it, right? Like th- there is just a certain element to certain people that give teammates the belief that they're going to win regardless of what happens. Like, and there are countless stories of like teammates, coaches, um, people playing against Tom Brady that said like, we just knew it, it was over or like we got tight when, as soon as he scored a touchdown, even if we're down three touchdowns or we're up three touchdowns, like, uh oh, here he comes. Right. And and that like mystical element to him is just something that I don't know if like if we'll ever see a player have that type of effect on the whole team and the opposing team for as long as Tom Brady had it. And and that was just like it was almost like watching a movie when you watch Tom Brady games, because there was just this sort of magical belief that you have in the same way when you watch movies where it was like there's going to be a happy ending to this story. Right. Like, you know, it's coming because that's how movies end. Right. And and watching watching Brady over the years, those were the senses that I got where it was like, this can't go wrong, right? And and that also, as a Patriots fan, made the losses that much more devastating because it almost felt like it was impossible for those to happen. Like, I remember the first Giants Super Bowl. I'll never forget it. Like, the feeling that I had was, it's Tom Brady. There's no way we lose, right? Like, there's no way. And throughout the whole game, it's close, it's close, it's close. And then the absolute, like, disbelief and like almost like a death of like the magic is what it felt like um but then for him to continue to just have that magic the rest of his career it was just it was crazy and I and I just feel like you had to be there to really understand and and that's where I almost understand like the Jordan people a little bit where it's like you had to be there to sort of feel it um even though like in the Jordan discussion I think LeBron has that same feeling where it's like he's gonna win this but but it was just, it was magic, man. And I'm going to miss it. I, I'm really sad that he's, re- he's gone um, and he's retired because watching him was, was truly magical. I thought, um, especially yeah. playing for. Scopa is trying to get us sponsored by 80 for Brady right now by saying it's like a movie. Um, Dude, give me the TV 12 merch, bro. Bro. I will like, say this though. Sorry. Sorry, Justin. I want to no, you're good. Just fun. Tom, I, I think that there is like, you always look at athletes in tears like, you know, obviously like the S tier athletes, A, B, C, D. I think that the only two athletes in of all time that you can honestly put at the top of the top is Tom Brady and Tiger Woods. I think yeah. that Tiger Woods, you have obviously again, you had to like it, like players or people who grew up watching golf in the end of the nineteen nineties and beginning of two thousands, Tiger Woods won everything. Everything. And the only other athlete to ever come close to doing that across all sports is Tom Brady when 
I mean, you can argue that LeBron making nine straight chips is is up there, but I think that Tom Brady's sheer dominance over two decades just proves that there will never be another Tom Brady. Like there will never be another Tiger Woods. And some of my best memories as a Jets fan was watching us beat the Patriots. And it was only two games that I remember us beating the Patriots where I was like, I, I've been chasing that high for 10 years. Like it, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I, yeah, Justin, you can go now. Yeah. I, I, so I, I brought up, the, I'm going to bring up this stat because it only talks about, as a Dolphins fan, like it, it brings up like just something so crazy. So against the Miami Dolphins, Tom Brady is 24 and 12. You go, okay, 24 and 12. So that's what, a 67% win rate? He has the most amount of losses against the Dolphins compared to any other team, and he still won 67% of the games. One of which was the was the damn, like, like the one he lost was like Miami Miracle. Like, that's whatever. Oh, Miami Miracle is so great until they won the Super Bowl three months later. Like, who cares? It's, it's just, it, it attests to so much of like his greatness. Like, it got to the point where I'm sure Ollie can agree with this. Like, God, we hated him. And the second he signed with the Bucks, we went, now I can respect him. Because there, it hurt, like, just losing to him so often. And, like, with what you guys were saying about, like, like Tom Brady is, like, the unanimous GOAT. Like, there will ne- never be another Tom Brady. Like, I look at it as Mahomes is, like, LeBron. Like, there will always be people that say that Jordan is better than LeBron. And the only reason why LeBron, I think, is still in, like, the question of the goatness, and maybe, like, a lot of people say that he is, is the longevity. Like, Mahomes, to get to where Tom Brady is now, literally has to play for another 20 years, 15 to 20 years, to get in that same conversation. Even then, like, that's asking for so much. Like, it's not it's not common for a player to play till they're 45. I mean, especially quarterback. I mean, he's taken hits. You know, he's he had the injury in 2007, like... He's he's gotten injured, but like for the longevity, the eliteness every year. I mean, this was a down year. The dude ran for uh, through for 4,500 yards. It was a down year, quote unquote. And he had he still played really great this year, but it's just because of the excellence he had. And it's just like, like, am I gonna miss being able to watch like the greatness of the player himself rather than like losing to the team every time? Yeah, and it's just like. It's sad because we're getting to that point now where we always said that like Brady and Rogers are, and maybe Matt Ryan of like when we were growing up, those are like Ben Roethlisberger here already retired. Drew Brees retired. Those three quarterbacks, once they're all gone, then it's like, damn, like we're, we're on that next generation fully. Well, and you know, the crazy part though, is that Rogers is not the same era as Brady. Like he that's is, right because he was what, six so years long, after, but he's not. <laughs> but I just mean right. how like in the 2010s no, that excellence. I agree. I agree with you, but I'm just saying like Manning was yeah Tom yeah that's he's that's been retired true. for like he's, five he's years. in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Hall of Fame, yeah. right? And it's just and, like it's it's so crazy just just thinking about and and honestly like I I get not doing it, but. Like the whole ten year whatever three hundred million dollar contract he has with Fox now, like God, he would be such a great coach. He would be such a great coach. You wanna you wanna talk about a play like a coach or any person that you could get your entire team to like trust and do everything? Like you have all these leader of men when it comes to these coaches. Like um like Andy Reid is a great coach. Everyone is around him, everyone trusts him. Tom Brady did that on the field for how many years? 23 years? 
maybe in the earlier stages, he was a rookie. So 20 years, he was that guy. Everyone trusted him. If he were to become a coach, like, I feel like that would just be so much more to like his Imagine goat, his goat level. For Bill Belichick. <laughs> that, that would actually be funny. Um, well, but here, here's but the thing I'll say about that. He's, he, but he's stepping away from football, so like like being on, actually on the field. So it's just like it's a shame because I, I think I would have been I would have enjoyed watching an offense that he like was the offensive coordinator of. Well, here's the thing. I'm actually very glad he's not a coach because he's going to be way more exciting as a TV personality. The things that we love about Romo, right? He can predict plays, his analysis, like all of those things. He has like a. a decent personality where he's like kind of happy-go-lucky sort of thing that is like it's romo with the limitless pill right like brady is so much more intelligent and that's no offense to romo but it's just like based on a pure like analysis of the game like understanding of offenses and defenses all of those things like he is so far beyond what romo is i can't wait to hear what he's going to be like announcing these games the analysis like i I think his personality is generally like very nice. Like he's pretty funny in like a sort of dad way. Like he's he's just awesome. And so I'm I'm super excited that that we have a, a ten year deal with him because um I, I think he's gonna make games awesome and I'm glad that he's still gonna be around the game, even and, and I'm I'm glad that he's gonna be around the game because you have all of these players who like will retire and they'll just go off into the sunset, you'll never hear from them again. The fact that we're gonna get 10 more years of Tom Brady makes it way more palatable that he's retiring because it's like, well, at least we'll still see him on Sunday. Yeah, and even then, like, with with what we were saying before about how, like, me and Ollie, like, we hate him because of the dominance against our teams. Think about how many people are going to actually, like, enjoy him more now from okay. getting the, like, people, I mean, Romo was whatever. Like, he was the Cowboys quarterback, Cowboys were whatever, but then he became the TV personality, and I don't know about this year. A lot of people are turning on him this year, but before he became more vanilla like he that that was so exciting anytime Romo would be a commentator you're like oh what what play is he gonna pick apart right now oh my god it's a bunch right guns gun uh formation oh it's gonna be a run to the right like he'd be able to call it but now you got the goat like he can pick apart defenses he can do all those things and I feel like honestly if you, like personally me if there's a game that has Tom Brady he could be commentating college football. And I would still watch it just because I want his insight. Yeah, I agree. Um, basically, Tom Brady is a GOAT, and we're sad to see him go, but excited because he's going to be on TV still teaching us about the game. And as a Patriots fan, I get to hear him reminisce about all the, the good times he had and all of like the dubs and everything because I'm sure that'll be brought up like literally constantly when he announces games. But yeah, uh, that's basically all we had to discuss for today. Next week, we'll be back with some Super Bowl predictions. Uh, we'll analyze the game a bit. Uh, hopefully get a gambling segment in with like some props that we like and stuff. I don't know about you all, but like I don't really gamble on basketball. So this is the last like big weekend for gambling for me, um, with the exception of like some UFC stuff. So we'll talk about that and some NFL awards predictions slash like who we would choose um, because that's always an interesting sort of conversation. So uh, until next week, we will see you all later.